You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight, I want to minister to you on the topic. I've called this, there's no other way but faith. And what I'm going to be sharing with you tonight is believing in faith is not an option. It's not a suggestion. None of the inheritance that you receive from God can be received any other way except through faith. So everything that the kingdom of God provides for us, whether provision, whether healing, whether relationship issues, all of it, there's only one way that you can obtain it from heaven. In other words, God will not move in your life any other way but this way. And I'm going to start. I know it sounds a little radical when you say that, but it's true. And in the church, there's a lot of people that have beliefs in things that God does without us. And there is a certain aspect of truth about things that God did without us. He planned redemption without you before you were born. Amen? But everything that pertains to your inheritance cannot be received unless it's through faith. Everything. And see, when you hear the word, what happens is faith comes into you. But it it won't deliver you unless you choose to believe what you have faith for. In other words, people think because you hear the gospel, you have faith and you'll be healed. No, you have to choose to believe what you hear concerning the word of God. That's why you find in the Bible stories of first generation of Israel. They didn't go to the promised land. It says they didn't mix their faith with the promises. Now, they had faith. But they didn't choose to believe what God's word says. And because of it, they were cheated out of the great blessings that God had for them, that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb. So with that in mind, I want you to look up on the screen. I want you to see this verse. I want to start with this, and I'm going to get in some real heavy things about prayer. And you're going to, after tonight, you're going to say to yourself, it's not an option whether or not I pray. It's not an option whether or not I use faith. I have to. But look what it says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, I want you to see something from this. Look look at the context. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that, okay, listen, you've been obedient when I was watching you. And you've been obedient when I haven't watched you. And he says, I want you to continue with that and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, what Paul is saying, that if you do that, then God's will that's inside of you, the will to heal you is inside of you. The the desire to do the right thing is inside of you. That if you would work it out, not only in public, but in private, And you would do it in fear and trembling. Why does he say fear and trembling? Because fear and trembling really are terms that have to do with being careful about practicing the word in your life. If you're not careful, you're like Eve in the Garden of Eden. The serpent said to her, hey, if you eat of that fruit, you won't die. Remember that? And she didn't take seriously what God had said. She thought, well, maybe it's not like that. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you won't be happy with me, but I'm not going to die. She partook of that, and she died spiritually. Fear and trembling. How many have ever worked around something extremely dangerous? 
I've been, before I went into ministry, I, was, I worked at Bethlehem Steel for a season. And I remember I was, uh, it was the first day there, and I was working, it was graveyard shift. And one of the guys that had been there for a while was showing me what to do. And he said, now, you got to be careful when you're scraping down these big, big, huge pots. They're on train tracks, and, and they're on the train there, and you have to do that. Because if you fall down in them, you're dead. And see, I, and so w- when you hear something like that, you, you're very careful. It doesn't mean you're scared of it, but it means you are going to be very cautious. And that's what Paul is saying. When you work out your salvation, you have to be careful and literally re- revere God's word, not only the good parts, but the negative parts. Amen. My wife, I remember when I first started, when we first started tithing, we didn't have any money, and she said, I'd be afraid not to tithe. In other words, I'd have more fear in my life if I didn't tithe than if I tithe. If I tithe, I know God's on my side. But if I don't, I I know I'm in trouble. But it's not just that. What about forgiveness? It's amazing to me all the people that have heard the message of forgiveness that have been forgiven that still harbor resentment towards other people, even though Jesus said, if you do that, you'll be handed over to the torture until you pay the last price. See, in other words, you don't, you don't do the word with fear and trembling. You don't, you're not careful. You don't think God really means that. Isn't this exciting tonight? Amen. Now, I'm saying that because this, without your faith working this out in action, There's no possible way that God's will will happen in your life. There's no possible way that you will get healed if you're praying in faith. There's no possible way that you will have God supernaturally provide for you. You may be be provided by the government or you may be provided by your job, but you won't have supernatural assistance. James said it this way, the half-brother of Jesus. He said that if you don't do it in faith, don't let that person think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. In other words... If you don't do it in faith, expect a big fat zero. A big fat zero when it comes to healing. A big fat zero when it comes to provision. A big fat zero when it comes to ministering in your family. A big fat zero. And in other words, there's no option. We have to pray in faith. We've got to exercise faith. Hallelujah. In whatever we do for the Lord in our lives. Amen. Come on, give God praise right now. That's, that's just great news. Great news. So I, I wanted to start with that. And I'm going to show you the, the mechanics of this. And a lot of things that I'm going to say tonight may shake you up a little bit. But I want you to listen to the word that I'm preaching here. And I want you to write this down. God does nothing without your consent in your life. He does nothing without consent in your life. He does things, but personally, redemptive benefits don't happen without your consent. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for you must believe that he is God. Notice what it says. You must believe. Say must. Necessary condition, right? You must believe that he's God and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Say amen, praise God. Now, look at this over in Matthew chapter 16. Peter, once he understood that Jesus was the Christ, 
by the revelation from the Father, Jesus, or Peter gave him an instruction. He said that Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now watch this next part. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti, or the governments of Hades, shall not prevail against it. Now watch this. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now make a note there. It didn't say that Jesus was the key to the kingdom of God. It said that he would give him the keys of the kingdom. In other words, Jesus saying, I'm going to give you personally the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loosed in earth will be loosed in heaven. Who is doing the loosening? Who is doing the binding? Who's doing that? Who is it? Peter. Or in your case, it would be you. In other words, heaven's not going to loose it. Heaven's not going to bind it. It's up to you. So here's what Jesus, and people miss this about Jesus. Jesus came to give us the keys to the kingdom so that we could unlock the inheritance, so that we could obtain the provision that the kingdom offers, so that we could receive the healing and the, and the, and the deliverance that God gives us within the kingdom. Jesus came to open that door up for us he's not the inheritance he's the one that gives you the inheritance he's the door but he opens the door to the inheritance we're to go in inside and receive the inheritance in other words Jesus isn't the inheritance he's the doorkeeper to the inheritance he is the one that has the keys to the kingdom of God in your life. And when you come in the name of Jesus, you enter into your inheritance. When you declare Jesus as Lord in your life, you enter into the eternal life that is in the kingdom. In other words, he is the gatekeeper of all these blessings in your life. Here's what most Christians do. Most Christians will get stuck at the door. I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. That's great. But Jesus came so that he could open the door for you and you could go in and receive the things in the kingdom. I got Jesus bumper stickers. That's great. But it's not about bumper stickers. It's about what Jesus opened up for us to receive from the kingdom. He literally restored to us everything that was in the kingdom that no one had obtained since the fall, and it becomes available to you as a believer. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. That's what Jesus did. And it's up to you to use your faith to go through it. In other words, Jesus is not going to force you to receive your inheritance. He's only going to give it to you if you do it through faith. No other way. Remember the Bible says that Jesus is the mediator between God and man? Remember that verse? What is a mediator anyway? 
If you've ever had a, a loved one in the family die, whatever leaves an inheritance, there's a mediator that comes in, sets down all the kids around the table, and that mediator decides how the inheritance is divided up. In other words, he's the one that divides it up. And so let's say that you had a relative that died, had $5 million, and there's a couple of kids. And so the mediator would sit there, and he would write out, okay, you're going to get half of this, you're going to get half of this, and go back and forth. And he becomes the doorway of that inheritance. That's exactly what Jesus did. He said, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. Hallelujah. What, this is so powerful. In other words, Jesus came to be the door to all the benefits of the kingdom. Whether the benefit of prosperity, whether the benefit of divine healing, whether the benefit of peace in your home, whatever it is in the kingdom, he is the doorkeeper to it. And through him, our needs are met abundantly above all that we can think or imagine. Through him... We are healed through him. We are blessed abundantly. Now look at this verse in Matthew 25, 34. Listen to this verse. It shows you that Jesus came to give back to us everything that was lost when man fell in the Garden of Eden. Look what it says. Then the king, king will say unto those on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, this inheritance has always been there for us. But when man sinned in the beginning, all of that was lost. And Jesus came and put on flesh, died for our sin, and was resurrected so that we could receive that inheritance that was prepared for us from the foundations of the world. Say amen. That's what God did for you. Now here, this is so powerful because most people do not understand the importance of our prayer life. Prayer is actually more important than anything else that you'll ever do because when you pray, you're releasing God to be able to demonstrate his kingdom in your family, in your career, in your culture. You're releasing God to do that in the culture that we live in. Without prayer, no wonder Paul said pray without ceasing. But most people will pray for dinner, lunch, whatever, and maybe do a quick prayer before they go to work, but they don't have a developed prayer life where they're praying all the time and in giving God, I'm going to say it this way, giving God permission to move in your family. Giving God permission to heal your body. Giving God permission to restore a relationship. Giving God the right to, to do what his will is to do in your life. You say, well, God doesn't need my permission. He does because he created God redemption as he pleased and it was his good pleasure to give the kingdom to man in the beginning when they were created so authority is within us here on this earth 
If you're in a body, you've got some authority, praise God. And that authority, Jesus restored when he came to this earth. We'll get into it in further detail as we go down this. But this answers a question. You ever think about what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8? He said, don't pray like the pagans pray. He said, your father knows what you need before you ask. But why would he, why would he demand us to ask then if he already knows what we want? Why did he insist that the blind man that came to Jesus ask him, what do you want me to do? Well, obviously, he's walking around like this. He knows he's blind. Because God needs your faith to be able to work through your life. He designed the system that way. You have a license to release the inheritance. He gave you a license in Christ to release what he wants to give you in your life, that, that inheritance. In fact, let me say it to you this way. John Wesley, how many know John Wesley is? He created the Methodist movement. And he was a very, very devout prayer person. And literally changed the known world at that time through his preaching. He said this about God. He said, we can do nothing without God. But then he said this. And God will do nothing without us. In other words, he realized that men had to choose to believe before God could do anything in their life. What had happened, and I think this happened during the John Calvin, is they, they got this interpretation of God's sovereignty, and, and it's not from Scripture. They took verses that said God does what he, ple what he pleases to do, talking about his sovereignty. And they said, well, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it. And that's true in any area that he hasn't, uh, how do I say, corralled himself in by what he said. But when he has said something, he cannot go against it. And so God, when he created man, he literally, how do I say it, limited himself and made himself dependent upon man for the kingdom to operate through man. He made himself dependent upon man. He said, well, what do you mean? Jesus said it this way. The Father's the vine, you're the branches. A branch can't function without a vine, and a vine needs a branch. Now, God could have developed it a different way, but he didn't develop it that way. That's why James said, you're not going to receive anything from the Lord unless you use faith. It is the means by which the kingdom of God begins to operate through us in a powerful way. In other words, God does nothing independently for you apart from your faith. God does a lot of things, but I'm talking about God does nothing independently that has to do with your redemption in your life and the benefits of it without your participation in faith, choosing to believe. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, I'll prove this to you from Scripture. Because this is a powerful thing that I'm saying here. Genesis 1, verse 26, it says this. 
In the beginning, God created man. It says, that, it says, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. And then he says this, let them have dominion. He didn't say let us have dominion. He said, let them have dominion over everything I've created. Say amen. Now, I want you to see something from this because this is just so powerful when you, when you begin to look at it the way this is. Religion will say, no, no, God does anything he wants to do. God can't lie. God can't go against his word. And God has said from the beginning, let them, let them have dominion. Not us, them. Because it was always God's will from the very beginning that the kingdom of heaven would operate through his man on this earth. And the kingdom of God would rule and reign through Adam in the beginning. And Jesus came back to restore just that in our life. Amen. So there's a restoring part here that a lot of people miss out on. And they're waiting for God to do something in their life that God's waiting for you to do, do for yourself. Another verse, Amos says this. God does nothing without first revealing it to the prophets. Why? Because the prophets have to speak it in faith before God can change things, before God can minister things, because he said, let them have dominion. So it always had to come from someone who spoke in faith, who prayed in faith, and then the kingdom of God would begin to minister. You never find God delivering a person of demons without finding someone in faith to do it. There's no reference in the Bible. Check it out for yourself. There's never a reference in the Bible of God, independent of men, delivering somebody that is demon-possessed. There's always a man of God, a woman of God, that cast the devil out and God's power and kingdom work through that individual and they are set free. Amen? That means that God willfully has locked himself out of the affairs of this earth and will not interfere in your life until you hear his word and believe it in faith, he will not interfere. And you see this in Scripture. This is amazing to me. Do you ever notice in the Bible it's full of weak people? And God used weak people? Why did he use weak people? He had no other choice. The kingdom would never be manifested if he's waiting for everybody to be perfect. They are the vessels in which he said, let them have dominion. And that's why the Bible says in Isaiah 43, it says this. He says, I blot out their transgressions for my own sake. In other words, I can't do what I want to do in the world. I can't rescue. I can't, I can't heal. I can't deliver unless I get rid of those sins that are in their life. That's why I had to bring Jesus. And so God uses imperfect people. I mean, look at Moses. Moses. Moses had a problem, didn't he? Moses had a problem. He had a speaking problem, couldn't speak very well. And he had an anger problem, and he killed an Egyptian. And God uses the guy. What, what about Samson? If, he, if there was ever a womanizer, it was Samson. 
and God used him. What about Solomon? Come on, do you really need 700 wives? These people were imperfect. They had flaws. Even David, who's called a man after God's own heart, gets up in his palace one day, looks out a girl's bathing, gets the hots for her, has authority, brings him to the, anyway, has sex with her. She gets pregnant. The problem is she is married, and she has a husband who's devoted to David and is out fighting in the battle, and David not only commits adultery, but has her husband put out in the front lines in hopes he will get killed so that he can marry Bathsheba. And God still used him. In fact, God used David so much that he said, the Messiah is going to go through your line. And he was an adulterer and a murderer. Say amen. But see, God has no choice. He has to. Because when he said, let them have dominion, he's not taking it back. I said, he's not taking it back. God has decided that you are going to wield his kingdom. That you are going to be the vessel that believes for the breakthrough. That you're the one that's going to believe for revival in America. You're the one that's going to intercede and things, things change. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. It's not going to come from heaven. It's going to come from you. You're going to bind. You're going to loosen. Praise God. You have a responsibility to do that in your life. Think about, think about, oh man, this is so odd. Think about this. Think about this. The scripture says this, if I hide iniquity in my heart, God won't hear me. Do you know what that means? That means that you are responsible for how God reigns in your life. And if you hide iniquity in your, your heart and you don't confess your sins, God's not going to be able to demonstrate his kingdom through you. Now, you think about people think when you sin, it doesn't affect anybody. Your sin affects everybody. You are responsible because you were created in God's image and likeness. You have a responsibility of leadership in this planet. You have a responsibility to let the kingdom of God operate through you. Wow. And if I don't do that because of sin in my life, other people are going, to be, are going to be affected by it. In other words, I could be held responsible for someone backsliding. I could be held responsible for someone going the wrong way because of my bad example. I could be held responsible simply because I didn't pray in faith and the, the kingdom of God was not manifested in the area that I'm involved with where people saw it and it influenced and changed. I could be held responsible for that. Parents, divorce. You're responsible to some degree how your kids are affected by it. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real sweet. But it's true. Everything that we do, we have to say, oh, wait a minute. God's called me. I'm in his image and likeness. Christ is inside of me. The kingdom of God is waiting for me to use my faith. If I don't believe What's going to result from it? I love it in Isaiah. It said this. He says, if you don't believe, you won't be established. It was always God's will to be established. But he said, if you don't believe, I can't do it. 
I can't establish you. I can't establish you in the breakthrough. I can't establish you in, in that relationship. I can't do it if you don't choose to believe what my word says. Man, do you see the importance of prayer? Do you know why there's no revival in America that we see today of any significance? Because Americans don't pray. Don't shout me down. It's true. If we had a prayer meeting at church, we'd probably get 2 or 3% of the people to show up at the prayer meeting. Now, I'm not saying that we have to get everybody to show up for the prayer meeting, but I am saying you need a personal prayer life. You need to be praying in faith for your family, for your kids, for our country, for those in high places. You need to be praying because the kingdom of God cannot reign in this world without you taking responsibility and praying in faith for it. Say amen, praise God. Now, let me show it to you from this angle. This will help. You are a spirit have a soul and you live in a body this is very significant what god created adam he made him out of the dust of the earth your body is, comes from dirt your dirt amen god made your body out of dirt he put a spirit in a soul in it and that's the only individual in his creation that god gave the right to have dominion the only one dogs don't have it Horses don't have it. Animals don't have it. Please do not play with the lights while I'm preaching. They don't have it. It's probably a demon up there playing with the light switch. But I want you to see that. They don't have it. I said they don't have it. Only you do, you're a spirit being. You ever wonder why demons like to oppress people and, and possess people? Because they have no authority outside of a human body. They have no, they have no authority outside of body. They, if they're just running around, they, they, got no, they have nothing. They're illegal spirits. They have no right to anything on this world. But once they begin to oppress a person who's, who's, who's in this world, they gain rights because God gave dominion to a person that is in a physical body. When you die, your body dies, but you live forever. Your spirit never will cease to exist. The only question is where it exists. Amen? In other words, when someone dies, they died in the body, but they didn't die in the flesh. And as soon as that spirit leaves your body, you have no more authority on this earth. You're done. Once your spirit leaves, zippo. I said zippo. People don't understand this. They don't understand that familiar spirits and demons have authority that they take from the person's body. Remember in the beginning when Satan had tempted Eve? And remember she felt spiritually, and so did Adam, and death went to the whole human race let me tell you why God prophesied to the devil what he prophesied to him you find this in Genesis 3rd chapter he spoke to the woman then he spoke directly to Satan and by the way at that, at that time Satan had embodied a serpent 
that walked around. In fact, today, if you get a snake in your backyard and you lay that thing out, you will find there's two little bumps on every snake because snakes from the beginning walked. But when God cursed the snake, he had to go on his belly for the rest of his life. Satan used the serpent to deceive the woman because he needed an instrument to get into the, into the earth. And when God spoke directly to Satan, you know what he said to him? He says, her seed will crush your head and you shall crush his heel or bruise his heel. Remember Isaiah said he was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of Jesus was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. In other words, he's talking about the cross. So here's what, I'm going to give you a paraphrase, what God said to Satan. Satan, I know that you knew that I would never go back on what I said. And when I told man that I gave them dominion, I would never pull back on that. And that's exactly why you tempted Eve because you've usurped authority now. She's dead spiritually. Now you are officially the God of this world, even though you took it illegally. But I'm prophesying to you today that her seed, talking about Christ, is coming. And he is going to put on some flesh so that I will have legal access through my son to get back everything that was taken from me. And, I, and, I'm go and you're going to bruise his heel. Now, Satan didn't know what that is. He didn't know what that is. The Bible says in the, in the New Testament that if he would have known crucifying Jesus, he never would have done it. So he, was, he didn't understand the prophecy, but he knew that he knew the Messiah was coming, and he knew the Messiah was going to put on a body. That's why he had all those infants killed. He was trying to kill God from being put in the flesh because once God got put into the flesh, he would have the right to get back to us what was taken at the fault. Say amen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Whew, man, I mean, you think about that. Isaiah talked about the same thing. He said this in Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 7. He said, he said, unto us a child is given. That's Jesus' body. And unto us a son is, is given. That's Christ in the body of Jesus. And then he said this, and I love it. He said that Jesus, oh my goodness, that Jesus was going to restore us Everything back from the beginning, everything back from the beginning, everything that was lost, he's going to restore back to us. Hallelujah. And he says, you're going to call him Emmanuel, God in the flesh. God in the flesh. See, this is something that I think we miss. That God the Father sent his son, the Christ, had to put on human flesh to be able to win back to us what was lost in the Garden of Eden. 
And what's so powerful is that when Christ raised from the dead, God raised up that humanity eternally. In other words, there's an eternal authority that God has now over all creation that is in Christ and those that believe in Jesus through that gateway, through that doorway, we receive our inheritance. We, we receive the name of Jesus. We receive the name of Jesus that can break every barrier, that can stop down everything. Hallelujah. Because you are all incarnate in Christ. Christ lives inside of you. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.